Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chelsea, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming to you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm one of your hosts, Jackie. I'm here with my two good friends, Rahul and Alex. Guys, it's summertime now. All the season is over. So I guess for today's episode, let's keep it a little bit fun, a little bit lighthearted, maybe a bit of banter. Rahul, I think you've come up with a fun little segment for us to do today. Is that right? That is right, and it is based off the predictions we did in episode 62. Uh, we went through a bunch of categories. We all three of us presented what we thought was going to happen. Uh, unfortunately, that has not happened in most cases, so uh, I thought it would be a good idea to go back and reflect and, and see what we thought was going to happen and, and how we defend our, our choices. <laughs> This is going to be a tough one then because I vaguely remember some of my choices and I'm pulling them up right now. And I think Alex is going to have a fun episode as well because he had picked Arsenal to get relegated. But before I get there, Alex, are you excited for this segment? Yeah, I think it'll be it'll be interesting, though. I'm definitely going to have, have a lot of explaining to do. <laughs> All right, Rahul, I'll pass it back to you. Let's get kicked off, man. All right, so let's start. So we the first category was who was going to win the, the Premier League and I think we came into it on the back of the Champions League win. We came into it. And I'd like to preface this this segment and this episode by saying we did that preview episode right around when Lukaku had signed. So I think yeah. our confidence, our, our uh, hype, and just positivity was through the roof because we, we were like, we've got the man that we need. Uh, but both you, Jackie, and Alex went for Chelsea. And I think the thinking was, you know, we've had a good – end of the season we won the Champions League we've got Tuchel who knows what he's doing uh, and Lukaku obviously has come through and it seems like we have all the right pieces in the right place to mount a challenge uh, so I'll, I'll start with you Jackie now that we've ended the season we finished third uh, do you think those claims were a bit premature? Looking at the season overall, I think I was happy with my prediction as Chelsea would be title winners. And obviously for maybe half of the season, we were title contenders until, of course, December came around. We discussed that very heavily in the last episode with Ferro 17. So if you haven't heard that, go listen to that as well. But no, I, I mean, I, I had faith in what Tuchel was doing. And the initial part of that season, I think when Lukaku signed, we'd already played one or two games and everything looked pretty good to me. And so... I'm not going to go back on that one. I was happy with my prediction. All right. I'm going to read a couple of... So I went back and listened to that episode because, you know, Alex gives us a good few sound bites. Uh, so I went back and listened to that episode earlier today. And so I'm going to read a couple of things that were said in the build-up to Alex saying we're going to win the title. So it's oh, always boy. difficult to bet against Chelsea, which is not a bad statement, Alex. I think that's fair to say. Uh, he also felt on the on the back of Conte and Jorginho having Ballon d'Or seasons at least the end of last season, uh, you know, we were in a position to mount a challenge. And then finally, he said, we are stacked as a squad, which, again, at that point, looked like spot on, bang on. We, we had players in all positions. But Alex, in the last episode, and I think all through this season, we've said the, the Reese James and Ben Chilwell injuries really derailed us. So do you go back and eat a little bit of a humble pie on, on that statement of we're stacked? Yeah, I mean, definitely it was clear how how crucial those two particular players were to our style and to Tuchel's style. And we know that based on how he plays with the wing backs and how he likes to set up. I still think our depth was impressive um, and our team did step up in the face of quite a bit of hardship 
um, on and off the pitch throughout the season. And I would say you, you do have to give some credit. I know there were ups and downs. I know we were definitely too far off the title for my liking or, or the liking of any Chelsea fan. Um, but there's something to be said for having some of your absolute key players injured, um, having all the turmoil we did and still pulling a third place finish in the Premier League. Not every club could have done without, I mean, arguably the two most crucial pieces of their manager's tactical plan being out for the majority of uh, the crucial part of the season. So, yeah, I mean, definitely this season exposed the need for wingback depth. At the same time, I feel like we just got so unlucky because even if one of them had been able to stay fit the entire way through, I feel like we might've been able to, to shift things around and compensate. But with both of our world-class wingbacks out at the same exact time, I think that was just a little too much. So yeah, yeah, I mean, definitely, maybe we, we didn't have quite the depth we wanted, but I would say as well, even in the attacking sense, we struggled in the attack. We know all the frustrations we had with the poor finishing and whatnot, but we still could make multiple distinct front threes. I mean, we had, what, six, seven players vying for these three attacking spots. The issue was just none of them were firing consistently, and we couldn't get that consistent front three that was working together. So in a way, I, I do think we, we had and currently still have some good depth, um, but it just wasn't clicking for us. Yeah, and that's fair. I, I think when we started the season, we all felt that we had the squad, we had the players, but like you said, things certain things can be predicted, like an ACL tear for Ben Chilwell or um, an interview that, that derailed us. But uh, I, I certainly agree with you. I think at that point we were doing well, and, I, and you both were right up until going into December. We were three points clear. We were sitting on top of the table, uh, and so it certainly looked like we were close enough to to mounting a challenge. Of course, it's it's a sprint. It's a sprint, not a marathon. Uh, I might have said that wrong, but anyway, my pick was Man City, and and I was called a traitor. I was told I, I put a knife in Jackie's back. Uh, it's called it's called the Premier Chelsea, not the Premier City. So what are you doing? Uh, but I just have to say, as Alex said about Chelsea, you just can't bet against City, at least in the Premier League, and. Once again, they proved it. And I think towards the end of the season, we were all rooting for them to, to get it done. So uh, I'm glad they did, but I would have certainly hoped to be wrong and, and seen that you guys were right. But let's come to the top four. This is where it gets interesting. So I'll start with Alex's picks. He had Man United, Man City, and Leicester. Jackie had City, Man United, and Leicester. And I had Chelsea, Man United, and Leicester since I picked City to win. So we all picked... United and Leicester as the other two apart from City and Chelsea and both of those did not make it so uh, Jackie I think let's talk about Manchester United first uh, because I think a lot of hype again Ronaldo coming in Varane coming in Sancho coming in uh, and actually finishing second last season was had built them up to to mount a challenge this year but that did not happen so your thoughts on on how their season went and where do you think, you know, things fell apart? Listen, yeah, I think you kind of summarized it there. We picked them to finish in the top three because of such an incredible transfer window. Not very often does Cristiano Ronaldo come back home. You're not going to expect one of the best goal scorers. And I was looking at his stats the other day, guys. He finished with 18 goals in the Premier League, just behind Mohamed Salah and Huming Song. So he did what he was supposed to. He came back and he contributed a bunch of goals. And you've got to talk about Jadon Sancho coming back, Varane, 
and Sancho will talk about it a little bit later as well as to what happened there. But you would expect them at least to finish in the top three, top four, just based on everything you've said. I think where it went wrong, I don't know if it's an ego situation with individual players. I don't know if it's from the top because now you've gone through, I think, four or five managers and Jose Mourinho famously said what I did with Manchester United finishing, I believe he finished second and winning a Europa League was one of the best achievements of his career, given the situation and the squad that he has. And everybody was like, oh, Jose, you're talking garbage. And now you look at it and think about it. Maybe it was. Maybe it was something that he pulled out of a magical hat. And there are problems at Man United. It sounds like they're working to rectify those problems. They've brought in a new manager. But ultimately, I don't know where it is. I really don't know where to pinpoint it. I hope somebody at Manchester United can. But coming to the Leicester side of the house, I think that's where it gets even more interesting because someone famously said Leicester is truly a mid-table team. They've just gone on a high of winning the Premier League, what Claudio Ranrenny had done for them. And then they had a couple of key players, but you have to look at it this way. Their key players have been slowly picked apart by some of the key, you know, we took Kante, we took Drinkwater, they took Mares, and then they're talking about Ben Chilwell. And now I'm hearing Yuri Tillman. So every year, Leicester gets a lot of their key players pulled out. And in hindsight, thinking about it, I should have noticed that and said, their squad's kind of losing players. But regardless of where they finished, I'll, I'll wrap up my thoughts on this. Credit to them at finding players because they find players at a good price and turn them up and they make a good profit. And ultimately, at some level, that has to include some success there. Yeah, and that's fair. I think Leicester, for the longest time, at least for the last two, three seasons, were challenging. And we're always at the at the doorstep to say we're one go, going to make the Champions League. Unfortunately, I think apart from losing players, they also just had a bunch of injuries this season that that derailed them, and and they still finished I think eighth or ninth it was. So not a bad season given everything that happened. Not where they wanted to be. Alex, some some sound bites here about Manchester United. Yeah, well, first of all, let, let me just read all, them. Let me just read them real quick. Oh, I, oh, oh, these yeah, are past. Yeah. I thought you wanted new ones. I was no, no, I, I'm sure ones. you'll give me new ones. <laughs> yeah, all right. All right. So, Alex, I can see Man United on good form outperforming Man City. Well, you did say good form. Uh, they good just, goodness. Man City just need Harry Kane, and then maybe they can, they can perform better than Manchester United. Manchester United, for me, in this case was Alex, have the right pieces in the right places to challenge and in, in be in the top four. So now, Alex, new sound bites, and how do you defend this, this what was said? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess the, the first thing I was going to say is I literally forgot until you mentioned it that Jaden Sancho signed for Manchester United, which, and I'm, I'm not even kidding on that. I quite literally forgot he was a United player, which I think says everything you need to know about his performance in his debut season. Now, obviously, as a Chelsea fan, we know better than many that adjustments for players coming to a new club, a new league, whatever, is not easy. And we've seen plenty of players. I mean, you see the likes of Kai Havertz maybe being an example of, of one who took some time to adapt. So I'm, I'm not going to slander the player. I'm just going to say I think Manchester United fans, obviously, as we discussed, had a lot of confidence going in because they picked up a at that point what many people saw as a world-class center back arguably the best finisher slash poacher in the world um still at his age Cristiano Ronaldo and a winger from Dortmund who was I mean really tearing it up in the Bundesliga um 
now I guess a variety of things come up. You see people say Bundesliga tax and, and no, they need time to adjust to the toughest league in the world. So maybe there's that. I, I still do think they, they had some good pieces, but really aside from Ronaldo, none of their signings performed. Maguire was almost like a signing against them at times. Um, it was just, it was just unimpressive. And, and I think, yeah, Ronaldo really honestly kind of dragged them to, to even where they finished, which I believe was what, sixth? Um, as for Leicester, I, I find the Leicester prediction a, a little more, well, I find that one uh, understandable for us because we'd also just come off an FA Cup final loss to Leicester. Um, they finished fifth in the league and they were really, I mean, they'd given us, it, it was an unlucky loss. It was unfortunate. We had those marginal calls that that lost the game for us but they were really going toe to toe with us um that that infamous amarde incident uh he who shall not be named (laughs) yeah i think it's understandable that we had high hopes for leicester given their consistent finishes they were just outside the places the prior season and they just stolen a trophy from us so yeah, well, I mean, I guess to to Jackie's point, they they haven't quite strengthened, and that's understandable because they don't have this financial situation of all these big clubs, but they just haven't quite strengthened to the point of being able to compete with the big six quite yet. And and I think you're right. I, they definitely could compete if they didn't have maybe other distractions in terms of Europa League, which they won't have next season. So it'll be inter- interesting to see how Leicester bounce back. And even more interesting to see how Man United bounce back because I think their their history and and the name and the brand always get thrown into into the mix and you just expect them to be there, but that hasn't been the case. And, and so I think maybe expectations and predictions have to be a little more realistic. Uh, but let's go to Europa League and it gets interesting here because you, Jackie, and Alex picked Liverpool and Spurs and I picked... Liverpool and Villa. Now we know how it ended. Liverpool finished second, made it to the Champions League final, beat us twice on on penalty shootouts in the Carabao Cup and and uh, FA Cup. So, Jackie, on the Liverpool piece, I have a soundbite or, or a thing that was said by you. Um, and so, Jackie says Liverpool haven't strengthened enough. Klopp gets too distracted with things out of his control, and that leads to his downfall, which was one of the reasons given for Liverpool not finishing in the top four. Um, do you think Klopp has, was a little more focused this time around? They played pretty much every game that they were supposed to play this season. And should they have deserved to finish, at least in our predictions, in the top four? Yeah, give me a second. I'm looking for a shoe to eat because that sound <laughs> that soundbite came given some of the situations that happened last year where we called it kind of a COVID league and all of these things. And I do believe they did not strengthen in the summer correctly, but you've got to look back. And, and maybe one thing I failed to notice was Van Dyke was injured for most of the, the previous season and him coming back was almost like a new signing. And I probably underestimated when they brought Konate in how valuable he was into the Liverpool situation at that point in time. Because you have Van Dijk, who on his own could be, you know, stellar to protect that back four. I know you have some memes about him, Rahul, online. But Konate added on there actually helps the whole situation should they have another injury. But I think the key comes when they signed, I think his name is Luis Diaz on the left wing. Yes, You could see when the African Cup of Nations came, we were all talking about well, Mohamed Salah is going, Mane is going, and you know, guys, that those two 
our top goal material for Liverpool right there. But he came in and we were all like 40 million, 50 million. Who is this guy? And immediately, and when I say immediately, you could see that they had a real talent on their hands. Now, can he replicate that for three, four, five seasons and become, you know, stalwarts in that Liverpool side? I'm not sure yet. But what he's shown in half a season, really, I should I should be finding that shoe to eat because he really found a way to do it. And and kudos to Klopp, because I do agree that he gets distracted with the wind was not in our favor. The pitch was not smooth. <laughs> or the referee said this. He he has all those excuses. But ultimately, he found a way to to stay focused, not only in the Premier League, but each and every competition that they were in. And they performed very well to the end. Even against Real Madrid, I think they performed very well to the end. Of course, Madrid, you know, it was written in the stars that they were going to win it. But kudos to them. And again, I eat my humble pie. For Tottenham Hotspurs, I have to say hats off to Antonio Conte. Because you're looking, I think they were 10th, 11th maybe in the league before he comes in. And so at that point, they're working slowly towards Europa League. It's fine. But what he did with the players, especially, I'll go back to Harry Kane, who was misfiring, wanted to join Manchester City, not interested, didn't want to run. And all of a sudden, Conte comes in. I want to know what he said behind the closed doors because he must have said something interesting to Harry Kane because instantly they're back in the race and they're going forward. And for a point there, guys, they were like six, seven games undefeated. And you you said that's the Conte effect. He's got everybody motivated. They signed Kulovsky, I think, as well for him. If I'm not mistaken. Yep. And so you give him a good transfer window and you back Conte, I'd be worried about Spurs coming season. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think one of the when we do our predictions for next season, I think Spurs will definitely and, and Liverpool will definitely hang higher higher than, than they did. Um Alex, so Jackie touched on it. The the only summer signing for Liverpool really was uh Konate, who was the center back that came in and, and actually hadn't lost a game until they played Liverpool, um, I beg your pardon, Real Madrid in that final. So uh, I'm sure you agree with everything that Jackie has said, but I, I want to get your thoughts on Klopp getting the most out of these guys that stay fit pretty much all season. You'd look at Mane, you look at Salah. Yes, the season before, everyone had their issues, but this season, no major injuries. He came into one of the, the final months of the season with a fully fit squad. So your thoughts on Klopp and, and what he's doing there on a limited budget, of course, but just getting 100, 110% out of these guys every single game. Yeah, I think it's totally a testament to Klopp as a manager. I think he's, we all know his his skill. And as much as I, I agree with Jackie, I, I love to meme him and make fun of him, but he's obviously top class. And I, I see it as, as almost a shame. Now I'm happy from my Chelsea perspective, see it as almost a shame that I don't think he's been backed as well as he should have been. I think if you maybe this is your hot take. I think if you backed Klopp to the point that Pep has been backed at city, I think he probably would have snagged at least a couple of those league titles out from under city's nose. I think he probably would have outperformed Pep in this Pep Klopp rivalry era still would have obviously been a very, very close fight. So Two, two top managers, I think he's he has done remarkably well with the resources he's been given. Um, and he is very good at, as we mentioned, developing these players who maybe we didn't, not necessarily we never heard of, but never really thought, oh, that's a Liverpool signing. That's a Premier League starting quality signing. Um, but Liverpool have proven their, their ability to do some pretty good business and, and get players 
for reasonable prices and turn them into really effective pieces in their system. So props to Klopp for sure, though I will say I, I saw at the end after that unfortunate Champions League loss, unfortunate from a uh, Liverpool standpoint, I personally was, uh, was not too unhappy. Um, I saw some Liverpool fans saying, hey, let's face it, we've kind of uh, underperformed during the Klopp era, given how talented a coach we have, how talented star players we have, and how we haven't quite backed them to the full potential, and we could have a lot more trophies than we do now. Um, now, I, I, I will say, you know what, if you're talking about teams that have underperformed, Liverpool is not top of the list for me. There are plenty of other big clubs or former big clubs who uh, have really failed to win any silverware recently, and they did do the double over us in, in domestic cups this season, although arguably we should have won at least one of those. So ultimately, I think... I'm I'm happy that I'm happy that Liverpool didn't grab that Champions League because that would have been very tough to uh, tough to handle from a, a rival English standpoint. But you've got to give props to Klopp for, as you mentioned, Robo, just getting his squad right to the end and then bringing it down to the point that they had almost won it. And they yet again took a kind of miraculous moment from City. My thoughts go back to the company goal. Uh, I think that right. was against Leicester, maybe, yep. um, that won the title for City uh, previously. And then here you have City with a really unheard of comeback. So <laughs> you, you, as much as I enjoy meeting Klopp, I've got to feel for him a little and say, wow, he's done a very good job and was inches off a lot more glory. Yeah, I, I agree with you. While you were saying if he was backed, I guess, a little bit more to the level of Pep, do you, and, and this is a question for both of you, do you guys think, he almost performs better with the limited resources because it it doesn't add that kind of pressure. Not that not to say that Liverpool don't have the pressure, but it's almost like we go out and get a Robertson, who I believe was at Hull City, and the expectation isn't he's going to turn into the best left back in the world. Or we we find Luis Diaz, who yes, Spurs were about to get, but he comes to Liverpool and he turns into arguably maybe the signing of the season. So, do you guys think he Klopp prefers? The limited resources, not to say that that's what he likes, but it almost just suits his mentality and his style better, which is we don't have the the most, but we, we're going to make the most of what we got. You know, I'll say this. I think even if Klopp was given unlimited resources, I don't think he, he works that way. He's the kind of guy that if you look at it, he, yes, he manages players well, but week in, week out, Mane, Salah, Virgil van Dijk, and then a couple handful were always on the team sheet. It doesn't matter if they were playing the best team in Europe or they were playing the weakest team in England. He's got his key guys. And so I don't think he wants a, a, the biggest budget on earth, to be completely frank with you. These players, by the way, if you look back, and I'm, I'm going to say this very humbly, I'm not trying to disrespect any of them. Mane came from Southampton, I believe. Van Dijk came from Southampton. We know Mohamed Salah had a lot of talent, but he came from Roma. They're good players. But is it Klopp that made them that next level? I think so. I think these are the kind of guys that need, in the modern day, a hug, a kiss on the cheek and say, you're the best in the world. And that just mentally elevates them to the next level. And so maybe that's what Klopp does well, which is he forms a really strong relationship with his key 11 and then, of course, his five or six substitutes and says, I don't need to go get a huge squad. I don't need six players in every position. I want good personalities, ones that will respond to my nurturing behavior because you can see he has a nurturing side versus pep who's a little more stringent and fatherly like and maybe that's how it works out for him yeah i think that's a that's a good point 
Um, Alex, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I definitely agree. I think I think Klopp does that does almost work to his style and that he's a very good player developer. We know that he's able to get a lot out of, out of the squads he's given. And I don't think necessarily he would be a worse manager with more of a budget. I think I'm sure if you gave him the option, he would say maybe not to the media, but privately, sure. I would love to be able to point out a player and get him no problem. But I really do think that ultimately what he's able to do and just working with the resources he's got is impressive. And he does get, he does get some good signings. He's had, a, he's had, a, I mean, he's had players brought in who we know are quality, but as Jackie was saying, getting them to that next level of, of taking a player, you know, is, is quality and getting them to either winning or challenging right down to the wire in the prem quality. That's another level. Um, I mean, you look at Chelsea and you could say, Hey, all of, I mean, almost our entire starting 11 plus bench are of the quality that they could very well challenge for the title, but something with the mentality, the form, the fitness, it's just not quite there and clicking on that top level. So it's a very different thing having the skill and fully harnessing it. Yep. I I totally agree with you. Um, Let's move on to the next, next category, which was the golden boot winner. And I picked Lukaku. Jackie picked Lukaku and Alex picked Lukaku. So again, I said this that episode and the predictions were done right after Lukaku was signed. I think we were all feeling very good about him coming in. And so he ended the season with eight Premier League goals and three in the FA Cup, two in the Champions League. And I believe he scored a couple in the Club World Cup. So did we get too excited by this signing? Uh, and yes, we know the interview happened. I, I don't want to get too much into that because we've spoken about that at length in multiple episodes, but before the interview and after the interview, I think we will all agree he was given, given enough chances to, to make up for what had happened at the end of December. So do you think he just doesn't want to be here? He doesn't fit the style. Tuchel doesn't really want him from what we've heard. And finally, do you see him moving this summer? Alex, I'll start with you. Yeah, I think it was a poor combination of factors. And I, I almost, although although on the one hand, it's easy to look back and be like, ooh, that was far off with, with Lukaku as the golden boot pick. Knowing his skills and knowing the form he was in when we signed him, um, how he'd really just been a powerhouse for Inter, how he really looked like he'd matured as a player, And we did see flashes of that at Chelsea, him just looking like he had a little more speed, a little more intelligence than he had during, say, his stint at Man United. Um, So I think I don't think we were we were wrong to have some enthusiasm, but I think we were assuming he would continue those standards. And I think that might have been down to us saying, well, he's played in the Prem before. Forget the adjustment phase. Yes, yes. Every player that comes to Chelsea has a serious risk of flopping, but. But no, he's been in the Prem. He's even been at Chelsea before, albeit very long ago. Surely he's one who can come in and just instantly maintain that world-class level that he was at last season. And unfortunately, we didn't see that, though I think the interview just almost can't be can't be overstated because even though he wasn't quite hitting the, the numbers we might have expected from him, given that it was a, an adjustment to a new team and style of play, he was showing some promise in some of those early season games. I remember 
one particular game versus Arsenal, him absolutely bullying their back line. I mean, he had a couple nice performances in London derbies. And I think we were really seeing flashes of, of, of Lukaku at his, at his very best. Unfortunately, I think at just a very poor time, coinciding with our winter drop in form, injuries to our crucial wingbacks, which derailed the Tuchel's tactics, and that interview that almost necessitated him being dropped because you, you couldn't really go without addressing that uh, blatant of a, of a mistake in the media. I just think it was too many, too many unfortunate factors at the wrong time. But I, I, it's unfortunate because I do think had he hit that form, I think he still absolutely could have won it. Yeah, and I mean, eight goals, I think Mo Salah and, and Son ended up with maybe 20, 21. So he was off. But like you said, all those things that happened along the way, a couple of things don't happen. It's a whole different scenario. Jackie, uh, do you see him staying the summer all the all the news coming out is he secretly or has said privately that he wants to go back to inter and so if that's the case i think it's just better for everyone involved to to move on as a neutral if he stays or if he goes it doesn't bother me i think if he stays like alex says he's shown us flashes and hints of brilliance that he can do the business when called upon if he's fully focused the big question is if he's fully focused. And so if he's not fully focused, he should move on and do what's happy for him. And maybe Inter is happy with him as a Chelsea fan. Now, I think he should leave. I think that given all of the situations with the interview, with the murmurs coming out of this summer, if he's not being happy, him firing his managerial squad for quote unquote, poor decisions, it's just too much unwanted news. And Chelsea had a rough year with, the ownership sale and everything going on. We don't need a player who, by the way, I think is one of our highest paid players on the roster to not lead by example. And and Alex said it beautifully. He came back as a more mature player, but he's not showing that to the younger guys. In fact, I, I look to the Reese's James and to the, the Mason Mounts that are showing that maturity and they're not making that amount of money and they truly love Chelsea. And so if Lukaku is that boy that we saw many years ago who came to Stamford Bridge with glitter in his eyes and said, I love this place. I'm going to play here one day then stay. But honestly, I don't see it anymore. And so I think he should move on. And I think that's fair. I, I agree with you. If he, if he generally cares and wants to stay, he should stay. Otherwise it just works out better for everyone that, that we find a resolution and he moves on. But Alex, I have a, a soundbite. And I, I want to share this because I, I want to share what the thought process was. You obviously said you wanted Lukaku to win it, but you also said you were okay if he didn't as long as the others around him and within the squad were contributing to the goals. And I think that points to an issue within this squad and maybe within the system is that we don't get enough goals from maybe the attacking players. So I'll read, read out to you guys the, some of the other guys with, around Lukaku. Lukaku obviously had eight, but Christian Pulisic in the Premier League, six. Mason Mount, 11, Ziyech, 4, Kai Havertz, 8, Timo Werner, 4, and Hudson Odoi, 1. And then I look at the defenders who were basically carrying most of the goal scoring load up front in the early part of the season Rudiger, 3, Thiago Silva, 3, Reese James, 5, and Ben Chilwell, who basically missed majority of the season, had 3. So is this an issue that we need to rectify? If Lukaku leaves, fine, eight goals are gone from from the Premier League squad or team. But is this something long-term, if we're going to be in that challenging for that title, 
we need to rectify, whether it's bringing in uh, a Lewandowski or, or giving Armando Warha the, the opportunity, or just ultimately working on that finishing because we created a boatload of chances. Jackie, I see you nodding. What are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, look, I think you've summarized it perfectly. Ultimately, whether Lukaku is here or not, it, it doesn't matter. A lot of these chances were missed by the creative players in and around him. There were times where he didn't start and Kai Havertz was leading the line or Timo Werner. And I mean, I don't want to pick on Timo Werner, but he misses so many opportunities. And so ultimately, I'm not trying to put the blame on Lukaku alone. We've discussed him as a whole. But realistically, even if you say the formation is set up for the defenders to contribute, great. But Ben Chilwell didn't play 30% of the season. He had three goals more than some of our forwards. That is a problem. And so these guys have to look at themselves in the mirror and say, and by the way, I'm not trying to poke at them. I still believe we had a great season, but they have to look at themselves in, in the mirror and say, you know, your Hakeem Ziyech, your, your team of Warners and say, it's a tough league. I get it, but can I get to double digits? And by double digits, that's the 10, 11 number. Cause those were the glory days where our wingers and our attacking midfielders were at double digits, which is 10 and 11, not fours and fives. Yep. I, I totally agree with you, Alex, your, your thoughts. Yeah, I think definitely I, I fully echo that feeling that Lukaku, Lukaku is not to blame for our goal-scoring issues. Rather, I think, as we all would have agreed back before, right when it was announced that we signed him, he was going to be the solution to an already existing goal-scoring issue. And although, unfortunately, that didn't quite work out and he didn't end up magically solving our, our finishing issues in front of net, this was this has been... I almost I almost struggle to say it because it feels weird that it's been this long, but I, I promise it feels like for the past at least five seasons, we have complained about not taking our opportunities. And to a certain point, I think that's that's every team. You can always look back and say, oh, so many missed chances, so many close shots. But it has definitely been a Chelsea issue, especially, I think, with some of these really tactically adept managers. Um, I mean, I remember under Sari, for example, we were dominating possession and then people were complaining, but we're not putting the ball in the net. And then under Lampard, we were putting the ball in the net, but also the ball was being put in our net quite a bit. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's difficult, but it does feel like it's a recurring issue. And to a certain point, though, I'm, I'm hesitant to just throw money at another signing and say, he's going to fix it. Lukaku didn't fix it. Next solution. Because I do feel like, in a way, it, it's, it's just not going to help chucking somebody in if they don't gel with the squad if they don't understand the league if they don't have the attributes we're looking for my vote and and maybe this is maybe this is dumb and probably won't happen my vote would be to get broha back um and and give him a good run up front now obviously you have kai havertz who has arguably more skill experience etc um so you'd want to ease him in a little bit but for me it's I don't want to just go dipping into the market and splashing another hundred million like we did with Lukaku saying, okay, hopefully this guy fixes our issue. I want to kind of rework it a little bit and say, okay, maybe take a leaf out of the clock book and say, what are the positions we really need? And what can we work with that we already have here? How can we work with the players we already have here to improve their finishing, improve their decision-making, improve how they work together tactically, et cetera. Um, so I'm still, I'm still very optimistic. I think as much as we, I mean, Tuchel came in halfway through last season, had a very tumultuous, but successful first period, and then had an absolutely crazy season this year with all the sanctions and injuries and all these issues he's dealt with. 
he has not had a very stable period to to run this club and impose his system. So I'm not I'm not panicking as a Chelsea fan, but for that reason, I don't think we should panic and go out and, and panic by a bunch more players hoping to fill the gap because it just might not work. Yeah, and if it, I can share one more stat, sorry, yeah, go guys, just going back. We talk about the top quality strikers, which is our, our Didier Drogba, maybe our Diego Costa, and I'll, I'll th- even throw in Olivier Giroud. What I, what I see is similar about them is their true center forwards, and I'm going to run through some names here, guys, and tell you players that have not necessarily succeeded that are not necessarily true center forwards. Shevchenko, Pizarro, Daniel Sturridge, Fernando Torres, Dembaba, You've got Loic Remy, Falcao, Alexander Pato, Mitzi Bachuay, Alvaro Morata, and then I think the last one was Higuain that we we took on loan. And all of those had something in similar. They're not true bullish center forwards. And so whether we like it or not, this is just my opinion, Drogba left such a huge presence in this team from the spine down. Now, we've rotated a lot of players, but... The only time we were successful is when we took Drogba out and we put Diego Costa in, which is that bullish center forward. And so this team mechanically, mentally has to reset and say, and Giroud to that matter was also pretty successful coming off the bench as a strong center forward. But this team mechanically has to reset and say, we don't have a mechanical strong center forward. We're going with this light moving bodies. How do we play better to suit them? Sorry, I just wanted to add that in there because it's a long list of players. No, and and I think that's a good good um point to bring up i was what i was also going to add to what alex said was the last time we won the premier league was in 2017 and we had a focal point which was you just mentioned diego costa ever since then we've had morata Iguain, um michi Bachuai, tammy abraham i think could have eventually become could have yeah in the in the same bracket as some of the guys you mentioned but he needed time and and at chelsea you don't get that time um <laughs> But Jackie, you say we need, anyway, I think we're going a little bit off topic, focusing more on the on Chelsea side. Uh, but you say we need that strong, bullyish kind of player. I think Lukaku could be that player. His heart was not in the in the game. That's really what it comes That's, down to. And it goes back to my earlier points. Yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, let's move on to the Golden Glove winner. And and I think we all three picked Mendy here. Uh, actually, Jackie, you picked Ederson. So um, ja- Alex and I said Mendy, you picked Ederson. And I think Eventually, it came down to Ederson and Allison. Uh, Mendy did have a very good run in the beginning of the season, coincided with Chelsea's uh, dominance and, and defensive displays, but that fell through, and we just seemed to leak goals. Uh, and and he finished with 14 clean sheets, and the winners, Allison and Ederson, got 20. So I think next season could be a time to reset for the defense and, and obviously for Tuchel and, and his staff to look at the system. Um, I'm going to skip over player of the year because Alex said Lukaku. um, Jackie said KDB or Conte, which I think we can talk about. And I also said Lukaku. But uh, Jackie, you were a little bit different here. And I believe Kevin De Bruyne did eventually win. Maybe not the PFA, but he did win the other other award as as player of the year. Um, Your thoughts on on KDB and Conte's seasons uh, throughout this Last yeah, I'll address, I'll address Conte first. I think it's coming off him being one of the best footballers on earth that last season and him having such a great run towards us winning the Champions League. Ultimately, injuries got the best of Conte. And I, so I think that's enough to explain what's going on with Conte. With KDB, I think we all know what we get, guys. It's just such a silky player that can contribute from deep or he, sometimes he comes in at the false nine. And so 
for me, especially in the Premier League, I think he's so well suited to it. And Pep does a great job of allowing him to have a free flowing position where he contributes to every single bit of play that's happening, that it, it was an easy call for me at that point in time. Now, ultimately, if somebody else won it, I would not have been surprised, but KDB always has to be up there. He he definitely does. And I, it, every time he performs well or does well or influences a game, um, I just remind myself he was a Chelsea player and, and what could have been. But one that got away along with Salah and, and a couple of others. Alex, your thoughts on, on Kevin De Bruyne and just his impact on, on that city squad. I think back to that Liverpool game we saw a, a month or two months ago at this point, he just ran the show. Yeah. I don't think, I mean, I, I say this as not a disservice to the former player, but, but credit to, uh, well, I, I say this to credit KDB, if anything, that I don't think it's an exaggeration saying he's their Lampard in that he he's running the show. He's bringing, extremely impressive goals and assists for midfield but he's also impacting the game even when he's not getting on the score sheet I mean he's very much just we talk about that classic Chelsea backbone of the early Roman era he is very much at the the heart of City's backbone Um, and as we've seen um, I mean we're still talking about filling that Drogba gap City lost Aguero and yet KDB just keep stepping up for them in key moments. Um, it's, it's really impressive and you've, you've got to give him props. Definitely. You, you have to say probably in terms of average performance, the best player in the league over the past few seasons. Um, certainly, certainly right up in, in the top three, top five in the past, I don't know, decade at this point. I mean, he's just, he is just unreal and you, you've got to give him credit. We are very much witnessing another, midfielder that I don't I don't want to go crazy and, and and call him Lampard level yet but he is he is not ridiculously far off that as far as I'm concerned in terms of his ability his impact and the titles that he's bringing home uh with those big performances absolutely and and to continue the Lampard shot he also scored four goals in a game like Lampard did um and so De Bruyne's stats this season this uh, past season 30 appearances 15 goals um, and what more can you ask for for someone that plays in midfield? But like you said, Jackie, he gets uh, he gets a free roll and eight assists, so he's he's definitely contributing on on both ends. But let's move on to uh, young player of the season, and I'm going to start Alex at Havertz, which I think we've covered uh, in in a little bit of detail. But Alex Havertz started off, you could say, maybe a little bit slow, but I think when the winter months came around and following his club world club displays, I think for the next six to eight weeks, he was the main man for Chelsea scoring the goals, uh, dragging us to wins out of, of games that we didn't really deserve to win. I think of that Newcastle game. So um, how would you rate the second season for Havertz and what do you expect maybe going into next season from him? Yeah, I think it was, it was a good season. It wasn't great. Obviously we know he can, he could definitely have done better. We know he's very talented, um, but at the same time, I think you've got to say something for the fact that we, even after he won us the champions league, essentially at, at his center forward role, we then went out and bought a hundred million center forward, which for all intents and purposes, I think was intended. 
I mean, right off the bat, we saw we, we were playing Lukaku. We were trying to shove him into the team. I think clearly you've got to give some, some benefit of the doubt to Havertz because, I mean, we went out and bought direct competition to him from a, at a world-class level for a massive price tag. Um, and he maybe didn't get as many opportunities as he would have if we hadn't gone out and, and got Lukaku. So I'd like to reserve a little judgment and say, okay, maybe he could have built a little more form if we played him a little more earlier in the season. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we know he can, we know he can still bring more. He's a player I'm not too concerned with because I think people get a little too bogged down in the idea that every season has to be brilliant from a player that's talented and, and that's, that's starting some games. I think players are allowed to have periods or even full seasons that they're not at their very best. However, that's when you need the ones around them to step up. And unfortunately, we just didn't quite have that from any of our attackers this season. We could not find those ones who would carry us. As you mentioned, Havertz had a great little, I mean, I don't want to call it, do it a disservice and call it a purple patch, but he, he had a, a, a great little run of form that was critical to us picking up some points, scored some nice winners, scored good goals. Um, you've got to give him credit. So, so for me, it's, for me, it's, you know, he did his best. It was a tough season all around. We, we came very close to, to multiple trophies. We put on a good showing in all competitions, more or less, you know, I can't, I can't find too much fault. I'm excited to see him keep developing next season because he is still quite young. Uh, I, I agree with you, Jackie. Do you think if Lukaku leaves this summer and, and we say, we're going to go down and, and keep Armando Borja, Guy Havertz becomes the main center forward, striker, whatever you want to call him, false nine. Uh, and maybe he goes on to go into the bracket of a Didier Drogba, Diego Costa, uh, a Giroud, like you said, and become that center, center forward that we don't really need to look outward. We, we have a guy who ha- did the business for most of the season. Ultimately, I think that'll come down to Tuchel and Kai Havertz to decide what his best position is. I think... He's such a talented young man that we've seen him play on the left, the right striker, false nine behind the striker. And so ultimately they have to decide what works best for him and what he wants to do long-term with his career. I still see him as a good attacking midfielder. I feel like if we played a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3, him and Mount could be devastating as attacking midfielders coming from deep with a striker up front. But uh, look, if they p- pick him as our our number nine and he's our striker, I have no doubt that he can do the business. He's shown it to us. So absolutely, I'd be excited to to see him. And th- at the same point, Rahul, if I say I see him better as a midfielder, maybe it gives time for Broha to evolve without having to necessarily take that mantle of first-choice striker. And then Kai can eventually slot back into his preferred midfield, or I assume his preferred mid- midfield position. Yeah, and, and that's fair. Um Let's move on. So that was Alex's pick for Young Player of the Year. Jackie, I'm going to skip over you because uh, I think you're going to eat a lot of humble pie on this one. But <laughs> I'll, I'll go to mine. I said Harvey Elliott from Liverpool. Uh, I do think he started off pretty well, but he picked up, a, 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 I think it was an ankle break pretty early in the season in September. So that kind of derailed him. Uh, so I guess I have to eat a little bit of humble pie because it didn't work out the way I thought. But an injury did play a role. But Jackie, you went with Jaden Sancho from Manchester United, who moved to United from Dortmund for about 85 million euros. Um, here were his stats for the season: 29 appearances, three goals, and three assists. What do you have to say? 
I'll I'll say this. I think I looked at Kai Havertz's first season. I looked at Timo Werner's first season. Both of the two guys coming from Germany, both coming with high profiles similar to Jadon Sancho, and both of them had something similar in common. They they played a few more games, and by a few more, they played quite a few more games than Jadon Sancho. And I think Kai Havertz got eight goals in his first season, and Timo had eleven or twelve in his first season. So I'm using that as kind of a, a measuring stick. The big difference I noticed is both of those names, Kai and Timo, got a lot more assists. And Jaden Sancho was supposed to be the assist king. And so regardless of the three goals, I can give him credit saying, you know, you don't need to score all that many goals if you're creating those goals for others. And unfortunately, it just didn't work out. What do I have to say about that? I'll bring it back to how I started the podcast. What is going on with Manchester United? Ultimately, I can take Donny van de Beek, who's it's a different example, but doesn't get a look in. Other people are struggling and not performing so well, but doesn't get a call out. You, me, Alex, we've discussed it many times on this podcast where Man United is struggling, but Jaden Sancho never got called off the bench. Or he would play 15, 20 minutes and then they'd say, oh, okay, it's off for Jaden Sancho. And so ultimately, I think he never really got a fair shout is really what I'm trying to come down to. Now, I do have to eat humble pie because I thought he has that. <laughs> mentality where he would force his way into the team but i will ask the question and hopefully we'll see it this summer is what is going on with manchester united do you so he so he was signed pretty early in the transfer window and i think if the window ended then he would have been their main signing yeah. um, do you think ronaldo coming in and yes ronaldo plays a whole different position but ronaldo coming in kind of stole the limelight away from him he may have felt behind the scenes like I'm not the one that they really wanted this summer. I got overshadowed. And that may be mentally... How old is Sancho, Rahul? I will tell you in just I think he's 21 or 22 years old. He can't be any older than that. And so you're talking about where did Ronaldo make his name at... 22. Where did Ronaldo make his name at Manchester United? The number seven on the right wing. Who better for Jadon Sancho to learn from? And and I, I have to believe, as a 22-year-old boy coming back to Manchester, you must be starstruck saying... I'm going to feed this man so many goals. I don't even know if he assisted one for for Ronaldo. So ultimately, yes, Ronaldo came in, maybe took some of the limelight, but Jaden Sancho is 22. Learn from one of the world's best footballers who transitioned from a winger to one of the most lethal strikers we've ever seen. So I I get what you're saying. I just think Jaden should look at himself and see what went wrong. But ultimately, did Man United give him a fair shot? Because we persisted our first season with Timo and Kai and found a way to fit them to the team for them to play that much. That's that's I mean that's fair. Jaden did score his first goal against against Chelsea, <laughs> um, but hey, I, I think at that point, like you said, we were expecting a lot. We were hyped up, and we thought you know things may may go differently. And he may still end up working out for them. I don't think they're gonna gonna give up on him, especially after spending that much. But um, when your team struggles that much, you get highlighted a lot more because they spent that much. Uh, let's talk about a team spending too much. And, and we said this would be disappointing signing of the season. And, and I'll go with Alex first. Jack Grealish, Alex, was your pick. And I think you obviously went with the fact that $100 million was spent on him. Uh, City had players in those positions that were doing the business. Pep signed him. Uh, and you just didn't think it would work out the way it did for him at Villa because City is a whole different different animal. And and. If you don't make it, you get subbed. So I'll read you his stats from, from the first season for City. 26 appearances, three goals, just like we spoke about with Jaden Sancho. Um, so 
you were proven right. I think Jackie was proven right too, because he did say Jack Grealish would be disappointing signing of the season. But do you guys now change your answer to maybe a Lukaku? Alex? Oh, I mean, it's, it's certainly, it's certainly, I mean, a, a debate to be had, I guess, but I, I, for me, no, I think, I think Lukaku had some external, external situations that were a little difficult. Um, and I think he, he still showed some, some real glimpses of his, his full form self. Jack Relish for me was just not just as, as the, as it reads disappointing. Um, and I think I think I'm I'm sitting here thinking as as the Christian Pulisic uh, propaganda machine that I am. I mean Christian Pulisic, who who got plenty of criticism from from oh he's having a quiet season and oh he's he's not great is he he's, is he Chelsea starting standard? I think if you'd asked people if Jack Grealish b- before this transfer to Manchester City, if you'd asked people if Jack Grealish or Christian Pulisic were a better player. Every English person, at the very least, and their mothers would have said Jack Grealish. But he got bought for $100 million um, and came up with six goals and four assists in all competitions, 2,700 minutes played. Christian Pulisic got bought for around $70 million. He came up with eight goals, five assists in all competitions, with 500 less minutes played. And yet Jack Grealish just kind of rode the coattails to, to yet another Man City uh, title win versus Pulisic was all these debates about is he Chelsea quality? Is he consistent enough? Why can't he finish better, et cetera? I think people have to reframe a little bit and say, hey, not every player. I mean, there are there are plenty of players out here who who we know are talented. Um, but you could also argue Jack Grealish, yes, different situation than him at Villa in terms of having to work maybe more with the team and less individually. But he got stuck in what is unequivocally a world-class side that has dominated the Premier League in recent years, surrounded by the likes of, of KDB and these fantastic players who he can feed off of. And yet he really was very disappointing. So I think he flew a little under the radar. Maybe, I don't, I don't want to say, maybe a little English bias in the, the, the media, the, the Premier League media. Who knows? I'm not gonna gonna start that conversation now, but I think he absolutely has to be looked at as one of the disappointing signings because, I mean, from the way people were talking about him, he should have done far, far, far better. Regardless of if it's a play style switch, he got thrown in the best team in England and really struggled. Right, and I agree with you. And I think the fact that they they win so much and the fact that they weren't relying on him to change games games or come off the bench and win it the media doesn't really put that much pressure on it or, or it should have, but they didn't. Uh, Jackie, do you, you kind of agree with, with what Alex has said? Because you also went with uh, Jack Grealish. One thing I'll add as well is of the three players that were around a hundred million, I think it was Lukaku, Grealish, and I think Sancho. And we've talked about Sancho and he maybe didn't get enough opportunity. Lukaku, we know what the issues were. I think with Jack Grealish, you've got someone who was, quote-unquote, the complete package. He was probably one of the best in the Premier League the season before. English knows the Premier League. His style of play was a lot of silky passing and movement. But I've always thought about this, is Jack Grealish was a big fish in a small pond. And he went to Manchester City, where now he's one fish in a giant pond filled with giant fish. And so ultimately, taking aside the pressure of 100 million, he was never going to be able to shine with the likes of KDB and Mares and 
Sterling, who I still don't know how Pep pushed out Sterling for so long, because Sterling had good numbers at the end of the day. And, and so many other names there, Jesus, Bernardo Silva, Grealish maybe was trying to do too much, and he's used to having the ball and being the guy at Aston Villa. In Manchester City, you've got to do the basics, right? Not necessarily dribble. And I think it'll take him a year. We might see a different Jack Grealish next year, but I'm not too surprised that he didn't do so well this season. And that's fair. I think his biggest impacts were getting his hair pulled in Madrid and then having the <laughs> after parties after the title win. Um, I went for Leon Bailey at, at Villa, and, and I think he did have a disappointing season. He made 18 appearances. 11 of those were as subs. But I do think with the change in manager and Gerard coming in, maybe he didn't fancy him enough. And um, it just didn't work out or hasn't worked out so far for Leon Bailey, but hopefully it will. Um, Let's move on to signing of the season. So again, Alex and I agreed here. We said if he wins a golden golden boot and the signing of the season would be Lukaku. I'm not going to go into into all of that. Jackie, you had said Danny Ings, and I thought that was a, a fair shot because it was a transfer that came out of nowhere. We hadn't really heard about it. Uh, he was at Southampton, I believe, the year before and uh, came in to Villa and scored about seven goals and 30 appearances. Um, would you change your answer now? Because I think the expectations when we were a little bit higher didn't hit those heights. And, and maybe there's another player that you would say would be your signing of the season now. Yeah, I'm not sure who exactly stands out to me. I think if you look at the whole season, it's hard to to pick. I mean, forgive me, but Kulevsky for Tottenham. Kulevsky, yep. Kulisevsky was a great one. If you look at half a season, then you've got to go with the Liverpool boy. Luis Diaz was an incredible signing. With Danny Ings, I think, and maybe you should have gone back and looked for the positive soundbite for, for Danny Ings, was I said, I think they were getting him for very cheap or for right, free, right. if I'm not mistaken. And so he's a proven Premier League player. He's a goal scorer. And I think the biggest thing with Danny Ings is injuries. And it, it came back to haunt him again. If he stays fit, that seven goes to 14 or 15 goals for the season, which we've seen him do before. And so ultimately, I think he needs to figure out his fitness. And some players are just like that, guys, where they're not fit. But if you're pulling my my arm for the best signing, maybe it's Luis Diaz in the half season and then Kulevsky for the full season. Actually, Kulevsky also came in half season. So half season. There, there you go. go. So, yeah. um, it seems like January business worked out better for, for teams. Uh, Alex, do you think, do you have a signing of the season that you would like to go with now instead of, of Lukaku? I mean, certainly, I think I've got to echo. I think Luis Diaz is, was key for them. And I think I'll give props to them just because that kind of came out of nowhere. They sniped him off of Spurs, dare I say, Willian style, the classic uh, South American Spurs uh, transfer sabotage. But I think, yeah, I think you just got to give him credit. There's not, he wasn't like, I mean, he was not like otherworldly, but he came in and I think, definitely exceeded expectations and proved to be a key player at a time when some of their big names weren't quite as consistent as they've been in the past. So good, good on Liverpool for picking him up and good on him for a really impressive intro to the league. Absolutely. I'd like to throw one out, which is Mark uh, Cucurella from Brighton, the left back. Uh, not much was heard about him when he came in. They think he was signed on, on August 31st, which was deadline day. And I think he's come in and actually, is one of the shouts for Chelsea to buy him this summer, 45 million or so. So uh, if he can continue 
playing the way he does. And if he stays at Brighton, I think he'll definitely be one to look out for in, in the future. And he's only 23. So uh, we spoke about Sancho and, and some of these younger guys who came in and struggled in their first season. Here's a guy that, that didn't and, and did very well. But let's move on to the bottom three. Uh, Alex's picks I will save because there was one very controversial <laughs> pick in there. Uh, but Jackie, you and me both went for Watford, Brighton, and Brentford. And out of those, only Watford went down. And I think Brighton and Brentford had pretty decent seasons. So uh, did Brentford surprise you a little bit, Jackie? Very much so. Absolutely surprising. I think we played them opening day of the season, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they Maybe played I'm Arsenal wrong. opening day and beat they them. They played Arsenal and, and beat them one. Yeah, and they beat them. And so that, to me, was was shocking to see right off the bat. And, you know, we like to banter Arsenal here. And so you go, sure, Arsenal, not that good. They can lose to them. But they consistently pulled a rabbit out of the hat when they needed to. And even when we played them, I think we were the first team to beat their, like, unbeaten streak. I think they had four or five games. Yep, yep, at home. And even when we beat them, I think it wasn't like we were comfortable. We were always worried about them and their players and how they move. And so I think... They did a very, very good job and absolutely surprised me. And so the more humble pie I want to send my way, please send it because <laughs> Brentford was another story. And and I'll come to Brighton as well, Rahul. I think they are another team that's a tough one to crack. Very, very well organized. They find a way to get the result. They've signed some good players. Terry Glante from Chelsea obviously was one. You've got some some Premier League talent in Welbeck who comes on Welbeck, and gets a yep. couple of goals here and there. So absolutely, they've done a good job. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, great players that are all contributing where they need to. So both of those boys, absolutely excited for for that those two clubs, and I, I'll eat my humble pie all day for them. <laughs> no, I, I look. I think Brighton. The pick was based on the fact that last season they struggled, uh, and we just didn't think they had enough. But obviously, they they definitely did have enough, and uh, we didn't even beat them this season, this past season. So. Um, a, a good shot and Brentford are equally I think surprised surprised well, everyone and they beat us 4-1 at home at Sanford Bridge so uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with them next season but let me go to Alex Alex had Watford and Brighton and I think Watford kind of a yo-yo club along with Norwich City which we should have seen and, and actually predicted uh, but Alex you you did say when you made the Arsenal pick this is more for banter this is more of a joke but if it happens you want to look like the genius that predicted it. Uh, and for a while, at least the third, first four or five game weeks, it looked like it was going to happen because they hadn't won the first three games. Uh, but what would you say about Arsenal this past season? Because they started off slow. They didn't have the players, I guess, fit and ready to go, but they did make a decent comeback and were in that Champions League uh, fight right pretty much up until the end. Yeah, I mean, I've got to say, obviously, I think it's a very long shot that Arsenal would ever actually get relegated. Um, we know they have quality as much as, as much as they're certainly nowhere near the biggest club in London. They have the players to not get relegated from the Prem, but I, I do think, I do think it was, it depends how you frame it. Maybe a disappointing season in terms of this was finally their chance. Several teams underperformed, um, this was a, a really, really good chance for them to finally end their drought of, of the Champions League. Well, I will say Arsenal, they, they, they put on a good show and had a nice comeback and they, they got out of those early season relegation spots, which were quite entertaining for me and, and many other Chelsea fans I know. 
while they didn't actually get relegated, perhaps in my mind, they got relegated from the status <laughs> of a big club when their fans started making compilations of their players playing in, mind you, not winning, playing in the Champions League, uh, putting putting the Champions League anthem and banners behind videos of their players doing extraordinarily average things and scoring Premier League goals. Um, so that to me was kind of the, the death toll for Arsenal standards are in the absolute gutter. Um, and I know a lot of people aren't, a lot of Arsenal fans aren't particularly pleased with how they, how they took a, a note out of Bottleham Totspur's book and managed to <laughs> choke right at the end. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, for me, it's, it's almost a, a non-point. I don't see Arsenal as, as a top I mean, they're obviously a top club in terms of prestige. I don't see them as a top competitor in the Prem at all. I mean, I go into the season expecting them to be fighting for fourth. And obviously that kind of remains true since the Wenger era. But now, who knows? Maybe fifth is the new fourth for them because <laughs> they haven't touched the Champions League in, what, five, six years now? So Six years, yeah, I was just going to say. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just... Yeah, no, to me, to me, we've moved on. We have bigger fish to fry, and I'd rather focus on the gap between <laughs> us, Liverpool, and City, which is admittedly still still a way to be closed, than the gap between us and a team that has fans dreaming of playing in the Champions League while we win it. And, and, and that's where I have a question for both of you about Mikel Arteta. So uh, I think a couple of eighth place finishes, an FA Cup win, and now this season finishing fifth. Do you think he is the right person to continue taking them? Young squad now, the Aubameyang saga we haven't even touched on. Um, he's made a couple of bold decisions that have paid off. Do you see him finishing the end of the finishing next season? I guess and making it to uh, the end, Jackie. I think it depends what they're expecting out of Arsenal ultimately if they're okay with this going on for a few more seasons, and I don't know if that's two, three, four, five, I don't know, but if they're okay with that happening and he's continuing to build from within the club, going back to the way they used to do things, which is, you know, Arsene Wenger's youngsters would come through, have an amazing few seasons. They would sell off and make a lot of money from the club and then start again. He can be the guy, but if they're looking to get back to champions league, like next season, they may need to look elsewhere. And I, and I don't think that's a knock on, on Mikel Arteta. It's the same discussion we've all had about Frank Lampard and how he's near and dear to our heart. I'm sure Arteta is near and dear to some Arsenal fans. On the flip side, you may find some Arsenal fans that say, get us a more experienced manager. It just depends what the board wants to do and how patient their fans are going to be ultimately. Yep, and that and that's that's fair. I think they need to realize, like Alex would say, are they still a big club that wants to be challenging for those titles or do they, are they okay just challenging for the top four ending up in Europa and, and going from there? Uh, let's go to first manager stack the, of the season. Jackie, I think a lot of humble, humble pie is coming your way, but I'll go to Alex first. Alex, you had Graham Potter. Um, I think that was based on the fact that Brighton had had a poor season before and, and we weren't expecting much from them. Uh, but now Graham Potter is seen as maybe one of the, managers that could make the jump and, and maybe go to a top six side. Uh, do you think that's a fair shot or do you think Brighton is, is kind of where he can cut his teeth for a couple more years and, and then make the jump? 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like he's certainly he's certainly done a decent job with a team that has far, far, far fewer resources than most of the competitors in and around him. I mean, he's right up there rubbing elbows with Manchester United, Arsenal. I mean, we're these are these are big clubs with big budgets and big names. And then you've got Brighton, who probably most people who aren't in the Premier League would struggle to name more than a handful, more than one or two of their players, if that. I mean, this is not a team that traditionally has a ton of prestige, star power, and yet he's got them performing. But at the same time, I, I don't always like to rush to say, if a manager does well at one club, let's throw them to a bigger challenge and they'll automatically do better. Um, I, I don't want to talk down because I really do not know enough about Potter and his managerial style. But I know we see sometimes with these managers who we who we almost expect to manage lower budget teams who can come in and do a job and grind out results. There's, there's a level of manager that is very, very good at getting the most out of a squad that doesn't have maybe the same resources. I think it's a whole different animal when you have to start managing egos and star signings and expectations of silverware, uh, a fan base that's calling for, for great performances and beautiful football every game. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't rush to, to throw him into another job. I'd say I'm interested to see how he can keep doing this because, hey, if he, if he builds on this season, maybe Brighton's the new Leicester and we start talking about them as a mid-table pushing up and starting to really become a problem for these big clubs. That's, that's maybe a little far-fetched, but as we said, Chelsea struggle against Brighton. Almost all the top clubs, no matter how, they, how good they are, really find it difficult to face this team. So credit to him. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess I, I don't think, though, he should, be, he should be thrown to a PSG or Liverpool when Klopp leaves or something just because he's done pretty well with this, this season with this team. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I look at um, Eddie Howe at Newcastle and who went from Bournemouth, got relegated with them, and then finally got the step to, to Newcastle, who are a big club, have the finances now, but they were in a relegation scrap for, for a while. Um, my first manager stack was Arteta, and we've just spoken about him, so uh, I'm not going to go into too much detail because I want to go to Jackie's picks. Uh, for his first manager stack, Jackie, you weren't just bold enough to name one. You were bold enough to name two because you were just so confident that one of these was going to be the first one to go. It was Bruno Lage from Wolves, and, and let's talk about Wolves' season, as well as Patrick Vieira from Crystal Palace, who ended up in the FA Cup semifinal and uh, you could say had one of the better seasons Crystal Palace have had in a long time. So let's go back to Bruno Lage and, and Wolves and um, start eating your humble pie there. Before I do that, let me preface this by saying, as a Chelsea fan and a very strong Chelsea fan, I'm used to seeing managers getting fired. And so that's why I was <laughs> bold enough to predict two are going to get fired in the Premier League very quickly. But all jokes aside, I'll start with Bruno Lage. I, I don't watch Wolves enough, but the fact that they were able to finish 10th and he was able to be successful, given Raul Jimenez had a major you know, surgery and he had had a fracture to his skull, they continue to perform well. He's done a good job of getting these guys all together and going in the right direction. And so a lot of credit to him. Wolves have a decent squad. The big challenge he's going to have this summer is, is he going to be able to keep all of his key players and then add to it as needed. Now, with Patrick Vieira, I think what he did impressed me more than Bruno Lage. And, I, and I'll tell you why. We talked about this in the previous summer. Crystal Palace had several players over the age of 30 that were 
either ending their contract or on the last year of their contract. And so there was something amazing brewing that needed to happen. Were you going to bring in a seasoned manager and sign these other 30 plus years for one more year and make it someone else's problem, buy some time? Or were you going to revolutionize the club by bringing in someone like Patrick Vieira and focusing on youth? And, you know, he picked up Conor Gallagher from Chelsea, who is now we know an incredible player, but he was a great player, brought him to Crystal Palace, made him something else altogether. Some of the young guys, I think his name is Eze, 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 amazing player that he's bringing through. So a lot of these guys that he's he's figured out how to click to perform, to get great results, great run into the FA Cup. You can be more proud as a manager for your first season in England with Crystal Palace, with the situations they had. So I need a big fork and a big plate because this humble <laughs> pie needs to start coming down my throat at this point. <laughs> yeah, and no, look, I think at, at the point we made these predictions, those two managers were were new to the league. Uh, had taken over, at least in Bruno Lodge's case, from Nuno uh, Espirito, from, who was there and had been there for a while, and, and we just weren't sure. And then with, with Vieira, we were just not sure what was going to happen in terms of, like you said, the age and stuff. Um, so I think that's... We have the playmaker of the season, and, and we've spoken about these two players. Alex and I picked KDB, and you picked Sancho. I, I don't think we need to go into more detail about about the failings of those, or at least in the case of Sancho, I beg your pardon, not, not KDB. Um, but there's a team I hear, a couple of teams that we haven't touched on. So let's touch on Burnley. They ended up going down, and, and I have to give Alex a little bit of credit here because he did say when he made his picks that Burnley might be ones that would go down just simply because Sean Dyche had been there for so long. They weren't having the resources. Uh, so Alex, your thoughts on Burnley, or uh, Jackie, I'll start with you starts on Burnley uh, getting relegated and firing Sean Dyche a couple of match weeks before the end of the season. You look, it's difficult when you fire a manager, especially towards the end of the season there. At that point, it kind of seemed like it was too late to make the decision, but they made the decision anyway. Disappointed that that happened. I think he had been with them for 10 years, if I'm not mistaken. And Burnley was a club that, similar to a lot of these smaller clubs, are very hard to beat. They are compact. They work hard. They work for each other. You see a couple of key individuals there that could make it to an England squad if they had a better chance here or there. And so just disappointing. But, Rahul, it's difficult with any of these Premier League clubs. You, you can talk about Norwich as well. I mean, there's so many good players there. Someone has to go down. We've covered the relegation battle quite quite a bit this season. And so disappointing, but more disappointed for Sean Dyche because I think he was not backed enough. And so... Tough loss for him to leave the Premier League. He was a good character as well. Yeah, I agree. And and we called him the Ginger Mourinho. Um, I'm sure he'll be back next season at some point. Alex, I saw you nodding through Jackie's uh, analysis of Burnley. So I'll come to you with Leeds. Leeds was one that we all expected to be a lot higher. I think I even said they may be fighting for Europa League. Ultimately, they finished 17th and had to fire Bielsa midway or, or pretty much towards the end of the season. Uh, in came Jesse Marsh. American uh, coach, manager, whatever you want to call him, made kept them in the league. How do you see them doing next season? I don't know. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how Marsh adjusts things because obviously he came in in a very tough spot and he managed to get them over the line. He had some very good wins. Um, still, obviously, as we've seen with this lead squad quite a few times, had some games that went very poorly, some that went very well. It's a team that we've known from under Bielsa 
can go out and score four or five goals and also concede four or five right. goals any given week. Um, but I personally, as much as as a Chelsea fan, I'm supposed to root for the downfall of Leeds. I was happy for Jesse Marsh um, that he was able to keep them in. I think that's going to be very good for the future of, of U.S. soccer and just uh, the coaching and reputation of Americans in the game. And I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do because he had a he had a kind of tough task um, being being thrust from. Um, I'm blanking on the name, but the, his his managerial transfer before when he went from uh, it was Salzburg, Salzburg to, to Leipzig, Leipzig, exactly. Yeah. The, the Red Bull transfer. Um, I think he, he was thrown into a bit of a tough spot and didn't get a real a real time to implement his philosophy super easily. I, I would be very interested to see what he does with this lead side, because at the very least, it seemed like and I, I don't want to I don't want to be corny and draw comparisons to Ted Lasso. But he did have a, a, a definite kind of team spirit seeming to be brewing at the end. And just watching how passionately he was reacting to some of those Leeds goals at the end, how passionately the players were really fighting to stay in it. Um, as much as I may as I may dislike from a club-to-club rivalry standpoint, the, the fans or the, the team or whatnot, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's good to see passion it's good to see players really fighting for the badge regardless of who you support because that's what makes the game exciting so credit to him for for getting i obviously that that was just the benchmark keep them up in the league and he he did just that um so i'm excited to see where he takes them but i'm not holding my breath for a a, a champions league spot challenge or anything like that i would say a good goal for them would be to become a solidly mid-table club again um because i think if if you get a little too ambitious you forget hey this is the premier league you're only recently promoted for the first time in a very long time i think leads have to stabilize a little bit before they can think about pushing back into that elite category so for me a mid-table finish maybe on the optimistic side eighth or ninth going down to who knows uh 12 13 maybe 14 something that's not in imminent danger of relegation by the end of the season, I think would be a good next step. Yep. And I agree with you. And he's actually signed uh, Brendan Aronson, uh, the American player. So a couple more faces from, from uh, the U S men's national team, maybe coming to the premier league, which is, which is good to see. Uh, Jackie, I want to touch on Newcastle because we haven't really spoken about them. Uh, We did do a, a couple of episodes on them. So real quick, uh, they survived. I think they came into December sitting in the relegation spots and, and cleared the pretty comfortably finished 14 points clear uh, of 18th spot. How do you see next season for them? And and is Eddie Howe the guy that can get them Europa League, maybe even the Champions League spot? I don't think they're going to make Champions League. Now, I could be eating humble pie this time next year <laughs> if they have a fantastic transfer window. However, I do think that they have a possibility to push for Europa League with the right signings. Eddie Howe, in my opinion, is a good manager, and I think he can get them there. It's just a matter of are they going to back him? And similar to the Arteta situation, are they going to give him time? Ultimately, with the money that Newcastle have, I don't think Eddie Howe is going to be the long-term manager for Newcastle. But for the next two three seasons, foreseeably, he could at least help them get to a situation and the handoff could be to a more elite coach. No disrespect to Eddie Howe, but they just need to plan correctly. And so exciting times for Newcastle in the next few seasons. I don't think they're going to win 
anything major next season, but at least make it close to to better competitions towards the end of next season. Uh, I agree with you. And, and I think the signings they made in January were very smart. So if they can continue that over the summer uh, and get some of these guys that that not a lot of the bigger clubs will be looking at and continue building their way up the table, that would be great. Final team, Alex, West Ham United. We didn't really predict them in finishing in any of the European spots. Didn't really touch on them at the beginning of the season, but they finished seventh. They go into the Conference League, made it to the semifinals of the Europa League. This is a team that has Antonio as the forward, who really isn't a forward. I think their star player is Declan Rice, who could be moving this summer and, and maybe making it to your background in a blue shirt. Um, what did you make of their season? And, and what do you make of David Moyes coming back and basically rebuilding his Everton side from back in the day? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. I think, again, you, you wouldn't think of West Ham as as challengers, but they, I think, have done a very good job of being of establishing that kind of presence and saying, look, we might not be pushing for, I mean, champions league spots. I know they had high hopes at certain points during the season because they, they did have some, some impressive, impressive times over the past couple of years, they've had some very impressive times and a few shakier ones, but I think it's, it, they've really done well with the model of establishing themselves at a secure point um, where they've got a pretty talented core. Now they're going to have to worry about losing rice their captain and and real backbone of the team there but i think that's the definition of a squad that's well positioned at the moment um to keep building and really just uh, you wouldn't ever say oh west ham's gonna be uh they're gonna be seriously struggling especially in some of these games against against bigger opposition obviously they've had big ups and big downs but I think they've they've really secured their status as a, a formidable force, even if they're not challenging for these top positions. No, no team says, oh, great, West Ham, that's an easy pushover win, especially away, something like that. You know they're going to make you fight for it. Um, so credit to them for, for securing a, a, a competition that I also think, as much as we were, were bantering the top clubs for being in it, I do like the Conference League yep. as a as a – system because I think it's awesome seeing new clubs who maybe wouldn't traditionally be able to have these European away days uh, get chances. And we saw the conference league final with, with Roma winning the first ever one was actually quite a, quite a, an intense affair and Mourinho obviously meant a ton to him. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how they do in Europe, but I, I don't have too many expectations for them beyond another mid table ish, maybe pushing uh, up a little bit finish. Yep, absolutely. And I, I agree with you. And it's going to be interesting to see next season with uh, Man United hopefully coming back and Chelsea pushing and Liverpool and Man City doing what they do with um, Newcastle, like we've spoken about, West Ham, Brighton, all these all these clubs. And then the three new clubs that are coming up, Bournemouth, uh, Nottingham Forest, and I believe Fulham. So it's going to be a fun season. It's going to be an interesting season. We'll do our predictions uh, back again in August before the season starts. But the fixtures come out June 16th, so uh, maybe on our next episode before that date, we'll do a prediction of who we face, and maybe Jackie will get it right uh, this time with with Brentford. Hopefully not. Uh, But before we go, we have a special announcement, and that is Ben Jacobs is coming back to the Premier Chels. He will be here with us every week throughout the summer covering all transfers related to Chelsea and maybe some of the bigger uh, transfers happening in the league. So do keep an eye out for that. 
But that wraps it up, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Please continue to subscribe, like, and follow us. It's at the Premier Chels on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Instagram, and also now on Amazon Music. Uh, and on Twitter, it's at Premier Chels. And as always, send us your feedback. But we will be back with a new episode. But until then, stay safe and up the Chels. Hey, guys. The Premier Chels is sponsored by Kickoff Coffee. They are a top-quality artisanal roasted coffee. In other words, they're Champions League winner and Premier League winner every single time. They deliver fresh bags directly to your home, so you don't have to go to a coffee shop and pick up something. And the best part about them is every bag gives back to soccer charities. 10% of the proceeds go to organizations that use soccer to promote youth social development in the underserved areas. Use our code TPCOFFEE15 to get 15% off your order. You can order at kickoffcoffeeco.com or check out the links on our social media. Thanks.